It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to wall. Wall, measures, deal, gets open for three. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Locked on Wizards podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We're here for you five days a week. No other Wizards podcast can say that. And you can follow us on iTunes, you can subscribe and give us a five-star rating. You can follow Locked On Wizards on Stitcher, or you can follow us on Twitter and Megaphone, or go to LockedOnWizards.com. And there are any other place where you listen to podcasts, you can find the Locked On Wizards podcast. So feel free to give us a follow and check us out. Um, I am your host tonight, Noah Getzel, and I'm here with my guest, Brandon Nguyen. We'll be talking about Beal's strong performance in what seemed like a playoff matchup in uh, Sunday night's All-Star game, and whether that will impact his confidence for the rest of the season, some of the biggest challenges and weaknesses that the Wizards will have to overcome as they prepare for their final 25 games of the year against some real tough competition. And finally, we're going to talk about uh, previewing a couple potential playoff matchups for the Wizards and which matchups we do like and which ones were a little bit... Uh, more reluctant and, and scared, maybe not scared, but uh, don't really foresee it as being the ideal matchup for the Wizards come April. So let's welcome our guest, Brandon Nguyen. You can find him on Twitter at 45 underscore N-G-U-Y-E-N. What's going on, Brandon? How do you like the All-Star game? I liked it. It was a very competitive game, and I really like the format they use this year just to mix it, things up a little bit. Because the game has gotten kind of stale the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll be on TV, that that draft uh, of the captains next year, right? Yeah, I like what like what LeBron suggested. Like, have the draft right before the game. Just have all the All-Stars lined up at half court and just select a team from there. Just like a regular pickup game. Yeah, that'd be awesome, no doubt. We'll see We'll see what ends up happening. Um, by the way, Brandon, as a Wizards extra contributor... How long have you been with the Wizards Extra team? About four years or more? Five? I think I've, I've been with Wizards Extra since late 2014. Okay, gotcha. So about the same same time I started. Cool. So let's talk about Bradley Beal's performance a little bit. I know that Brian Kramer and I did a bit of a, a run through the game uh, in yesterday's podcast. But I was just wondering, given how... Do you think 14 points in an All-Star game is something to really write home again about or is it more so this is an all-star break everyone's gonna be scoring a lot you know the the east team scored 148 points or not the east lebron's team both teams scored over 140 to 14 points really mean anything in the grand scheme of things i know it was a huge deal for beal 
to get invited to his first ever All-Star game, and he, he saw it as you know, a big recognition of his accomplishments uh, over the year, given that he wasn't able to replace Kevin Love last year and ended up being mellow instead. He, I know he was a little upset about that, so he was happy to be at the All-Star game. Do you think that his performance and, you know, just the confidence of being around all these other stars is going to change the way he leads the Wizards for the rest of the stretch without John Wall? I think for him it's a huge deal because in last night's game, he didn't get a lot of opportunities to really show what he can do. But even in his limited opportunities, he was still able to score 14 points on, what, five, five, five shots? Five of ten, I think, yeah, four of eight from downtown. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if... Uh, whenever you're a first-time All-Star, you can have a semi-decent to a really good game. I think it, d- it does a lot for your confidence moving forward. For, sur- for sure. And he, l- he looked like um, he was being aggressive every time he touched the ball. Uh, there were a couple of shots that he usually takes for the Wizards where he was coming off screens and turned down open threes, but I'm sure to some degree you're kind of deferring to the other All-Stars you have on the court sharing sharing the floor and sharing the ball with you. So it was it was a strong performance, no doubt. He wasn't turning the ball over. He wasn't playing scared. He looked very comfortable in that game. Yeah, he, did, yeah, he didn't look nervous at all. Compared mm-hmm. to his um performance in the three-point contest, he looked a little nervous there, which is kind of odd because he was in the contest four years ago. He did fairly well there. Yeah, he was in the finals that time. But, I mean... Nobody really takes the three-point contest all that seriously. I feel like when you're in the competition of a five-on-five game, it's just a whole different thing versus, you know, just standing around a rack trying to pop some threes. But uh, so so you think it's going to have a carryover effect and he'll he'll play more of an alpha role for the Wizards in, in terms of, I mean, he's been great this year for the Wizards. He's been the team's MVP, dropping like 50 points and lots of 30 and 40-point performances. Do you think... Do you still see another level of potential that's yet untapped that you could see him rising to over the rest of the season? I know he always has is, plays big in the playoffs, but do you, do you think things are going to change this, not second half, but these final few games of the regular season? I don't think it will change the way he approaches the game. Right. Like, I don't think he'll go out there and start to attempt 25 shots a game, but when it comes to leading the locker room as, well, without John Wall, he is the best player on the team, so... When it comes to leading the team from that standpoint, I think it would. I think this all-star performance would help him greatly because now guys would maybe mm-hmm. listen to him a little bit more. Yeah, he's always kind of had a bit of reputation of, you know, being a great talent, but maybe being a little bit shy. So maybe this will help yeah. him have a, somewhat of a stronger voice in terms of a leader in the locker room, which he has totally been taking on the past two years. Um, but. You know, maybe there's there's still more room to grow, so we shall wait and see starting Thursday against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that's going to bring me over to the next point, which we're about to address about this, this killer schedule that the Wizards have um, coming up, not just the rest of February, but, you know, the, the next two months, actually, um, pretty much all of the rest of the regular season. So stay tuned right here with Locked on Wizards. I'll be right back with my guest, Brandon Nguyen. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. 
Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Locked On Wizards podcast. Uh, the Wizards have an incredibly brutal stretch uh, the rest of February. Let's see, only two teams, uh, and sorry, only one team uh, for the rest of the month is not in the playoffs. So coming up on Thursday, they play the Cleveland Cavaliers, and we'll have an extensive preview of that game coming for you on Locked on Wizards tomorrow. And then, so they haven't beat the Cavs yet this year. They haven't beat the Hornets either, which will be the matchup uh, at home Friday the 23rd. And then they face the Sixers. I think the Wizards are 1-1 one and one against the Sixers. I would actually have to double-check. I know they lost very recently right after uh, the Sixers... You know, right after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, the, the Sixers were, st- were still on that kind of joyous hangover after the Super Bowl victory and just could, couldn't miss a shot and beat the Wizards. I know the Wizards beat them the first game of the year, but I'd have to, we'll have to double check and see if uh, there were any other games between those two teams. That's February 25th. And then the Bucks, who have just been manhandling the Wizards uh, in fourth quarters and, you know, coming away with those late game victories, uh, they'll be in Milwaukee against the Wizards Tuesday the 27th, and then a real tough matchup the last game of February against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, As we continue to look down the stretch after the Warriors, it's the Raptors, the Pacers, and the Heat, all teams which are in the Eastern Conference uh, playoff picture right now, with the Raptors, of course, being the number one seed. (laughs) Any advice for these Wizards the, the rest of February, at least? And I haven't even got into... Games beyond that so far, the, the the Raptors game is going to be March 2nd, and then the, let's see, so the next two weeks, yeah, in March we've got the Raptors, the Pacers, and the Heat, and then they've got the New Orleans Pelicans, the Heat again, the Timberwolves, the Celtics, it's a brutal path. The Spurs play twice in uh, the end of March, what do you think it's going to take uh, for the Wizards, and what kind of weaknesses or do you think will will have to be adjusted? I know that health has been a big issue for, for the Wizards as of recently um, with John Wall's absence and then a couple people going down with the flu and Tim Frazier with this broken nose. I I think he should be okay to, to start playing with a mask, but what do you foresee uh, the next few weeks with, with this, uh, you know, tough tests, all of these tough tests coming for the Wizards? I find it interesting that the Wizards have struggled against Charlotte this year. Mm-hmm. That's that's really that's a really strange thing. I mean, the Wizards are a much more talented team than the Hornets, so it doesn't make sense as to why they have been struggling against them so much. But the Wizards are going to, to survive this stretch. they got to keep moving the ball. Just keep doing what's been working the last couple weeks or so. Just keep that ball moving. And they really got to tighten up their interior defense because guys are still getting layups on them consistently. Yeah. Plus, they got to get... Sorry, were you about to say something? No, no, no something? I'm just agreeing with you. Oh. And they also got to get Kelly Oubre going, because he's been struggling ever since John Wall went down with that injury. Absolutely. And, and they really need him to step it up. 
Yeah, as you mentioned, um, the the Hornets. One of those games was right before uh, the PRP surgery, for or not the PRP surgery, the injection, um, platelet-rich plasma that John Wall received in his knee, and he really didn't look himself that game. I think he had over thirty points and double-digit assists, but that that was you know his last game before a two-week absence due to that uh, rest for his swollen knee and the injections. And then the next time they played the Hornets was um, Clifton's first game back, their coach's first game back after some some health issues that had kept him sidelined for a while. So there were a lot of emotions riding on that game. But, you know, nonetheless, it's no excuse. The Wizards, I think that second game against Charlotte, they allowed, like, Charlotte's highest ever point total or something crazy like that. It was just awful defense from the Wizards. Um, let me see if I can find that that game. Yeah, one thirty three to one oh nine. They let the Hornets score seventy seventy some points in the first half. <laughs> right. The other game was in overtime. Um and I think Kemba Walker really gets up for games against John Wall because right now he's below Wall in the pecking order. So I mean Wall had a huge game. He had thirty one points and eleven assists in that overtime loss to the Hornets. But then Kemba Walker, he had twenty four points. Uh, and five assists and five rebounds too, um, three three-pointers. So, I mean, they were kind of going head-to-head. Dwight Howard has been really strong in both matchups. I don't know what it is against the Hornets. I think it's it kind of just plays into that mentality of the Wizards consistently underestimate and underperform against teams that are below them in the standings, and it's something that has to quit, something that's kind of been rectified a little bit since... Wall's injury, but I mean, we only have a very small sample size of the Wizards beating the Hawks and the Magic and the Bulls and then the Knicks after being down a ridiculous amount, 27 points. So how often can you make a 27 point comeback? But I, do you think, what do you think are like some of the biggest issues for the Wizards aside from John Wall's injury um, the next, you know, maybe like until the end of March when they have a healthy John Wall back? An issue I see with this team is they they don't really have another guy outside of Beal who can create off the dribble, right? Or someone who can get a shot for themselves or create for someone else. I mean, Saransky he he's a good passer, but if you're going to ask him to create something out of nothing with ten seconds left on the shot clock, and that's just that's not his game. And Ubre is is still raw with his handles, and Otto's really not that guy either. So, in that sense, it makes the Wizards a little bit easier to guard. That's why I said you got to keep the ball moving until Wall gets back. Yeah, absolutely. And there have been flashes for sure. Ubre has had a string of solid games. Markeith Morris has been looking better recently after he started off really slow this season. And Otto Porter, even though he's been fighting that hip injury all year, he he has looked a little bit more consistent as of lately too. Uh, Sadoransky's coming into his own. He's able to address a lot of his weaker points in terms of his ability to score after penetrating and hitting three-pointers um so you know players are definitely stepping up but you're right you can't depend on anyone to go and get buckets aside from Bradley Beal on this team Mike Scott had that stretch where he was shooting you know like I don't know it was over 60 percent or something like that from the field and having did games in the teens and 20 point games but that's kind of faded a little bit so I think you're totally right in terms of the recipe for success just being sharing the ball and don't expect anyone to go and contribute 25 points and lead your team to victory because it's it's got to be the next man up approach where everybody 
everybody eats, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> um, do you think... So defense has been an issue for a lot of the year. Uh, we've we've seen the defense improving at times in like the months of January and February. Do you think the defensive issues are fixed, or does it just have to do with motivation and mentality and the Wizards kind of not coming out ready to punch the other team in the mouth from the get-go of these games? Do you, do you foresee defense still kind of being one of those things that keeps popping up in terms of the Wizards' struggles the rest of the season? I think it comes down to mentality. I mean, Gortat is, at this stage of his career, Gortat's not going to be a guy who's going to protect the basket. So it's really going to come down to our guards and our wing players because they definitely have the capabilities of being a sol- of being solid defenders. So, mm-hmm. But I can still see defense becoming an issue as the season winds down because it's been an issue all year. And at this point, it's really hard to break whatever habits you develop as a team throughout the season. Mm-hmm. What do you think the Wizards' record will be uh, for the remainder of the season? There are 25 games left, and the Wizards have fourteen. Sorry, 33 wins right now, 24 losses. Do you foresee them getting around the 45 to 50 win uh, total that they, they reached last year with 49? I think because of this tough schedule they have coming up, I would say they'll finish the season with 43 wins. Oh, man. So that means that they'll go 10 and 15 the rest of the season? Yeah, it's just the schedule's just so tough. And when Wall gets back, they also have to go through that period where they have to get him reacclimated with everyone else. And that might cost them a game or two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for, uh, you know, the, the foresight and analysis of how the Wizards will will do the next few games in the, this tough stretch. Um, so again, some of the upcoming opponents for the Wizards this week are going to be the Cavaliers, Hornets, and Sixers through Sunday. And then they've got the Bucks, Warriors, Raptors, Pacers, and Heat coming up in the next two weeks. So a, a bunch of tough matchups coming forward. Um, the Wizards have been playing better recently, even without John Wall. But we'll we'll see how that keeps up after the All-Star break, where everyone had a chance to get healthy and get rested, including the Wizards, who, of course, play a heavy minute toll on All-Star Bradley Beal especially. So we're going to come right back with the Locked on Wizards podcast with Noah Getzel and Brandon Nguyen to talk about potential playoff matchups, who the Wizards would like to see, and who is kind of like a nightmare matchup um, as they're currently in the fourth seed. And we shall see what, what happens come April. So stay tuned right here. Locked on Wizards podcast is coming right back after the break. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked on NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, welcome back to the final segment of Locked On Wizards Podcast here Monday night. Uh, I'm Noah Getzel, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Noah underscore Getzel, and Getzel is spelled G-O-E-T-Z-E-L. We've got our Wizards Extra reporter, Brandon Nguyen, here on the podcast tonight, and you can find him on Twitter at 
45 underscore N-G-U-Y-E-N. So the Wizards are currently sitting at fourth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they're eight games back of the number one Toronto team that they've beaten twice this year, once without John Wall. And then uh, the Celtics are number two. The Cavs had been struggling a lot. They just shook things up immensely. Uh, they traded six players out, got four new guys, and they're sitting at third place, six and a half games behind the Raptors. So do you foresee this kind of being how things end up in the Eastern Conference? Is this, no matter what order, do you think it'll be the Raptors, the Celtics, the Cavaliers, and the Wizards in the top four stand, the top four uh, home court playoff spots come playoff time, Brandon? I think the Raptors will hold on to the number one seed, but I can see the Cavaliers taking the taking over the second seed because the Celtics have not been playing great basketball in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I know it's only been two games, but the Cavaliers, they look really, really good against the Celtics yeah. and the Thunder. They've won four in a row, seven of their last ten. The Raptors yeah. are red hot, too. They've won seven in a row and nine of their last ten. But look at the Wizards. They've won seven of their last ten, too, so don't yeah. sleep on them. Uh, and then, so in the, the back half of the Eastern Conference, it's incredibly tight right now. As we mentioned, the Wizards are eight games back of the Raptors. Eight and a half games back are the Indiana Pacers, and then the Bucks are nine games back. Philadelphia Sixers, ten games back, and then the Heat, there's a bit more separation. They're at the eighth spot, eleven and a half games back of the Raptors behind them. You've got Detroit, who's kind of knocking on the door, 13 games back, and after that, there's a drop-off. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets probably aren't going to make the playoffs, being 17 games back uh, right now, and, you know, what is this, five and a half games outside of uh, the final playoff spot at the moment. So of, say, the Wizards, what what do you think? Do you think they'll be third or fourth in the East or fifth? They'll, they'll be in one of those three through six matchups, would you say, right? Yeah. Okay. So among those teams, who who would be an ideal matchup and who would be rough for the Wizards? Uh, the teams I, I foresee as being a big issue would be like a 4-5 against Cleveland, Obviously, you never want to face LeBron in the playoffs. The Bucks have been dominating the Wizards. Um, their length is really difficult. And then the Sixers, too. Even, I don't know, I think the play the Sixers, they're not playoff tested. But Joel Embiid has just been having such a ridiculous year. And there's obviously no one on the Wizards roster who can come close to guarding him. So I think the Sixers would be another tough test. Um, in terms of the team, it seems that would be easier to get around uh Miami Heat wouldn't be as uh imposing of an opponent opponent for Washington or the Indiana Pacers do you kind of foresee it as the, the same way that the the kind of matchups that you want to avoid at any all costs would be against the the Bucks and the Cavaliers this year yeah, mainly the Cavs <laughs> Yeah, you never want to play LeBron the first round because he's never lost a first round playoff series in his career. Mm. And I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to play the Bucks or the Sixers either because we don't have. Well, when it comes to the Sixers, we are very thin when it comes to our front court, especially at the center position. So if Joel Embiid gets Gortat or Mahimi in foul trouble, that's going to put the Wizards in a tough spot. And when it comes to the Bucks, we we don't have anyone that can guard Giannis. Yeah, I mean, Otto Porter was out for the first game against the Bucks, and then the next game he was playing, but I'd, I think 
Yeah, he like Giannis just Giannis in those both of those games he totally dominated those fourth quarters. Um, I think he had twenty rebounds in the second matchup. And then you were mentioning the the front court for the Sixers. Um, so is it just Embiid that you're worried about in terms of uh, having front court depth, or is there anybody else who you think creates issues there, like Dario Saric perhaps, who who would be a tough matchup problem uh, for the Wizards? Is mainly is mainly Embiid and yeah. Simmons because because once Simmons gets pa- I mean once John gets cleared out in a pick and roll situation, Gortat or Mahimi is going to be guarding Ben Simmons in a one on one matchup and that's going to be a nightmare for I, the Wizards. Yeah, I feel like to a certain extent the opponent like the Wizards or whoever is playing against the Sixers can kind of just take the same strategy that teams do against the John Wall in terms of like what Boston did, just force him into being a jump shooter and live with him shooting from 17 to 23 feet throughout the series and playing those percentages. And it's tough because he's, you know, like six foot 10 or whatever and plays point guard and handles so fluidly. And uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a maniac. He's, it's strange. Like you don't rare, barely ever do you see people with this kind of passing ability and court vision and dribbling since Magic Johnson and LeBron James at this height. But honestly, like, I don't think that his basketball IQ is going to stand up against the playoff defense. Uh, and I, I don't know, like, this team is intriguing from Philadelphia, but I, who knows if they're going to rise to the occasion, their first playoff series with so many young players. Who would you ideally want to be guarding Joel Embiid? Like, who, which, who would you want playing center for the Wizards come playoff time? Marquise Morris. Uh, shoot. <laughs> I rather honestly, I rather have Jan Mahimi guarding him because he is the only guy on the Wizards. Well, when it comes to big men, he's the only guy on the Wizards who has the athleticism and the strength to somewhat bother Joel Embiid. But but either way, Joel Embiid is so much more athletic than him right. that it might not make that much of a difference. Yeah, the Wizards match. The Wizards roster is composed in an interesting way right now because they basically. I mean, when it comes to the playoffs, you only you shorten your roster down to seven, eight guys, and just rely on people for heavy minutes, knowing you have breaks between games. But I just think it's a bit of an issue for the the last twenty or so games of the season, twenty five games, that the Wizards, you know, only have what nine players that they can go to consistently off the bench. Say John Wall is healthy. You've got Kelly Oubre, Tomas Sadoransky, uh, and then Jan Mahimni and Mike Scott. You have no other backup guard aside from Sadoransky, even though Oubre can play some shooting guard. It's it's just, it's not the best scenario right now. And we're talking about Jan Mahimni as a much improved player, but come playoff time, like, who knows? Will he be committing four fouls in the first quarter? Will he be bobbling all these passes and blowing bunnies and turning the ball over a lot. Like, you never really know what you're going to get with Jan Mahimni, but it's good to see his improvement so far and good to see him healthy uh, throughout the season after all those struggles last year. Yeah. And I'll also throw I'll also throw the Miami Heat in that group as teams that I don't want to see the Wizards face oh, yeah? in the first Why round. Why is that? Yeah. I mean, from what I've read and what I've heard about the Miami Heat, they're a really scrappy team, but the only thing they were missing is a closer. And now they have a proven closer in Dwayne Wade. And, I guess. <laughs> An ancient Dwayne, Dwayne Wade, maybe 12 know, but, years ago. I know, but Dwayne Wade in the playoffs, he is a 
he's a different animal in the playoffs. Yeah. And I, I I'm not worried at all against the Miami Heat. Uh, for the Wizards. Uh, I mean, the Wizards. I, you can say what you want about them overlooking opponents and and all that, but like the the Heat haven't done anything in the playoffs. They've got Kelly Olynyk, who's a Wizards killer. But I really think the Wizards will will play a totally different ball game once playoffs arrive. And even when we look at last season against the Atlanta Hawks, people were freaking out when on the road against the Hawks, the Wizards like looked awful. And then of course they closed the series out in six games. It's it's I think the Wizards are kind of the team that uh, it's risky, but they they play well and they play hard when they need to. And I wish they could have just swept that first series against the Hawks, but it is what it is. So. I, I don't I don't know. The Heat don't strike me as a team that would cause matchup nightmares because when you look at John Wall and Goran Dragic, that's not even close. When you look at of course like nobody can really guard Hassan Whiteside on the Wizards, but nowhere else do I foresee the Heat having a clear advantage in terms of starters at least. Maybe their bench is deeper, but like is there any player one on one matchups where Aside from Hassan Whiteside, the Heat would have an advantage over the Wizards. It depends what John Wall you're getting, of course. But no, Dwayne Wade is not better than Bradley Beal. James Johnson is not better than Otto Porter or Marquise Morris. I, I don't know. I, Dion Waiters is not. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, like the Heat aren't a team that strikes any fear in me. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I give Dwayne Wade too much credit because I'm a, I'm a huge Dwayne Wade fan and I've seen what this man has been capable of doing in the playoffs. So I don't know. Maybe I just give him too much credit. Why do you think he got shipped out of Cleveland, though? He's too old. You know, he, he doesn't have the same energy, ability to play as many minutes. He's not quite as durable anymore. He was a good fit for the Heat bench, but like they didn't move him out of off that team that's going to a championship by accident. Anyway, I, I think that'll. I don't know. Oh, go ahead. I don't, I'm not. Honestly, I don't know why he got shipped out because, like you said, he was a really good fit. Now, maybe because some of the players in the locker room didn't like the whole LeBron James Dwayne Wade friendship. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know how much money he was making either because I know the that Wizards. Or sorry, not the Wizards. The Cavs had to take on some hefty contracts with uh, Jordan Clarkson and George Hill and a couple of those guys. Yeah. Cool. Well, Brandon, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for, I know I kind of let you know last minute that I need some help for this podcast, but you were there to step right up, kind of like Tomas Sadoransky. So I'm glad I picked on you instead of, <laughs> I don't know, someone like Brandon Jennings, who's playing for a minor league team in Milwaukee now. But I appreciate this. Uh, it was good having you on the show, and I look forward to having you again soon. So hit me up, and we will be back tomorrow night. Um, It'll be some different hosts tomorrow. We're going to have Dustin Allwood and Arthur Renault hosting the show. So be on the lookout for the Locked on Wizards podcast tomorrow, coming out tomorrow night, Tuesday. And that'll do it for us. We're going to sign off. Any song recommendations to close this one out, Brandon? A lot of pressure's on you. Whichever song you choose, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to play that one. I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan, so we okay. can go with Billy Jean. All right, yeah, I can't argue with that. Let's do it. Cool, man. Have a good night. Thanks you for too, watching. Noah. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Wizards podcast. We'll see you tomorrow.
Hey Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.